Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Amanda Faulkner is author of The Renovator's Survival Guide. Since the book's launch, she has been featured on Sunrise, 9am with David and Kim, A Current Affair, as well as numerous radio interviews, including ABC Radio in Melbourne, Hobart, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide, as well as 3AW and 2CA. Amanda is a brand and marketing expert with over 20 years experience across industries ranging from the rag trade to building and now books. Amanda is currently the National Marketing Manager of the Australian Division of a Global Manufacturing Company and is Executive Editor of Look Home Magazine and producer of My Look Home TV. Her book has been featured in the Sunday Telegraph, New Idea, the Newcastle Herald and the Sydney Morning Herald's Domain section and recommended by the Sunday Age. Amanda also supports her book with a blog, videos and other social media. With a passion for online marketing strategies, strong expertise in creating successful brands and the benefit of her own author experience, and she admits that not everything she's done has been successful and she's willing to share it. Amanda also presents the course Marketing Your Book at the Sydney Writers' Centre, where you'll be able to map out a practical, easy-to-follow blueprint to make sure your book gets the marketing push it deserves. So thanks for joining us today, Amanda. Thanks, Valerie. Now, your book is an excellent and very entertaining resource for people who are considering renovating. Now, I assume you're a renovator yourself. Why did you want to write this book? Well, without boring people about the whole epic disaster of my own renovation, <laughs> let me just say that it went seriously pear-shaped. And over six years, I had to finish the building and also sue the builder. So by the end of that, I really came to see that there were lots of problems that people experienced, lots of simple pitfalls that people fall into, and they could avoid them if only they knew about them in advance. So really, I really the primary reason I wanted to write the book because I wanted to help people avoid some of those really obvious problems. And when I say obvious, obvious in hindsight. And apart from renovating yourself, you obviously, you, you have a background in the construction or building industry in some way? Well, yes, that's probably the extra embarrassing part because I have worked in the building industry for the last decade. And so I did go through a period of time where I really did seriously feel like I was the dumbest person in Sydney uh, because I should have known better. But yes, I I do understand a fair bit about construction, a little bit more than the average person, but even that didn't save me, Valerie. (laughs) But you certainly have the expertise and you're coming from um, a well-informed area in terms of writing this book. So after you got the idea, I want to write a book, what did you do next? Did you just put pen to paper? Did you map it out? Did you do lots of research? What? How did you start? Well, I'll be honest here. I started saying to people, oh, I'm writing a book in about 2003. <laughs> and really, nothing happened until, and I remember this very vividly, nothing happened until my birthday in November 2006. 
and I thought, you know what, this is nuts. I mean, I think part of it was that I found it difficult to start because all of the legal stuff was still going on, but it was substantially concluded by that point. And then I thought, I'm sick of hearing myself saying I'm going to write a book when I know I'm not doing anything. And so I went and did a one-day writing course, and that helped me um, write the introduction, which has really remained intact for that entire time. So that is the introduction that's still in the book today. But then that still wasn't enough. And actually, I came and did one of your courses, if you remember, <laughs> Valerie, at the beginning of 2007. I, I did the feature writing course, and I did it over a week. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons I did that was not just to learn from you some of the, you know, the key rules of writing for features, but I really wanted to give myself a kickstart. And so I just did that intensive week-long course with you, and I'd come and do the course in the morning, go home and write in the afternoon. And that was really the beginning of starting to get um, the first three chapters and the structure. But uh, it wasn't all like I had it clearly mapped out. And, and once again, you, know, you probably remember me coming and asking you, would you read my first three chapters? And actually what you said to me at the time was really helpful because you said, well, have you got a book proposal? And I went, no. And you said, well, I'm not even going to look at it until you've written a book proposal. And actually the discipline of writing the book proposal and all of the things that really need to be in it for a publisher was really helpful then in terms of, of structuring the book. Mm. Um, and so that then got me to stage two, if you like. And at that point, I then sat down, wrote a decent book proposal, worked out the structure of each chapter, and then did the first three chapters and sent those off to publishers didn't do anything on it from probably May through to September of that year when I came back and, and had another go at it. Mm. Mm. I think at that point, you know, I, I had a couple of rejection letters, a lot of, you know, they were form letters, but mm. I had one rejection letter from a woman at Allen and Unwin who actually, as I was thinking about this interview this morning, I thought I should send her a copy of the book because her rejection letter was one that stopped me in my tracks a little bit because she'd actually obviously thought about the book. And at that point, it was really a trigger for, have I got the structure right? You know, is there maybe, I thought it was pretty good at that point, I'll be honest. <laughs> but, but then I thought, well, maybe I should just rethink how I'm structuring the book. And I actually then engaged a, um, a US-based publishing coach because I suppose the other thing that was happening was I thought, well, I've got a couple of rejection letters. It looks like I might have to publish this myself. And so I, I engaged her really to help me work up the marketing plan for the book. Anyway, she read the first three chapters and, and she basically said to me, you know what, I think they're pretty boring, actually. <laughs> and, and that really took me aback because I suppose I was thinking they were pretty good. And I think her feedback then really helped me to sit back and look at the structure. And one of the key things she said to me then was, you know, this idea of surf, um, um, snorkel and dive. So really, to cut a long story short, I, I basically sat back, hacked at the whole book, redid the structure, and then, you know, really from September to December, I just sat down and wrote the rest of it. So that's the, the not very planned way that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, the honest truth of, of kind of what happened. And the research that I did, I, did, I didn't do in advance. I did the research as I went through each section mm. and then went, okay, if, I'm, if I were doing this again and I wanted to really help people really know all of the tools that are out there, what's where should I research? And so I put that in the book at that point. And you mentioned the concept of snorkel and dive. Can you expand on that a bit? Sure. I think part of what this coach said to me, and I think this is something which is, you know, potentially specific to nonfiction, mm. is that not everybody who is going to pick up your book 
is going to want to read every single word, mm. honestly. And and with a non-fiction book, part of what you need to do for people is to signpost the information. I guess it's a bit like in a feature, you know, where you've got your intro and you've got your great hook and you've got some subheads, etc. Mm. But this is like on a wider scale. So she said, I think you want, you want to understand that there are at least two or three different kinds of readers. The people who, if you signpost it enough, they're going to go, I want to read this woman's stories. And my stories in the book are, are all the blonde moments and they're signposted like that. So mm. if you wanted to, you could just kind of run your way through the book reading the blonde moments. Mm. Or you could dive a little bit deeper if you wanted to and you can easily find where the case studies are. Or if you wanted to go really deep, then read the whole thing. But, but the important part is that all the chunks of information are very clearly signposted. Mm. And actually, sometimes, you know, I, I put this to the test and I pick up some books, you know, when I'm at the airport or where, whatever, and they might look engaging on the cover, but sometimes they're just then when you open them up, just a huge big chunk of information and you think, well, hang on, if I'm flicking, where, where, where am I going to dive in? Yeah. And uh, so I think that's the, the core philosophy of that, Help make, make it easier for readers to dive in at the point that they want to, not expecting them to read it all from start to finish. Now, in your job, you're a national marketing manager of the Australian division of a global manufacturing company. So you're, you're an expert in marketing and you obviously call on your writing skills a lot, but how is that different to the kind of writing you did for your book and how did you switch gears between the two? Well, I probably was a little bit basic about this to start with. I think one of the clear um, distinctions is that when I sat down to write the book, I knew that I wanted it to be really easy and a little bit fun to read and, you know, as entertaining as I could make it whilst it was nonfiction. Mm. And so I knew I wanted to write in my own voice and I knew I wanted it to sound like I was speaking to you. Yes. So that was I had that very clearly in my mind and that's obviously not how I write at work. Typically... Mm. A lot of our, our writing at work is, you know, our brand is about um, being straightforward and to the point. So we do write in a very uh, unfluffy kind of way, but we, um, you know, we don't typically speak in the first person. So that was the first clear thing. It became clearer, though, once I uh, had worked with the, the book coach, because when I started to think about the different structural elements of the book, I knew that all of the blonde moments really had to be sounding just like me. Mm. And so they were really, you know, a little, the, the language was a little looser, more casual, um, definitely to the point. And um, then when I had to do what we call devils in the detail, that's much more technical and therefore it's, you know, a different kind of writing. So every time I got to one of those sections, I really had that firmly in mind. So did you, was that a natural thing for you? Did that come to you naturally or did you have to, you know, switch gears in some other kind of way? No, I think it was pretty natural. I mean, I think it's about being, well, for me anyway, it was really about being conscious before I began, not just doing a bit of a brain vomit, mm. um, <laughs> which is probably a little bit how it was in the beginning. But really, once I kind of had that structure clear, I'd just make sure that, I'd sit down and I'd go, okay, well, who is the, what is the place from which I'm coming to write mm. this particular part? I think at work, you know, I have to do a similar thing. You know, for example, I, um, you know, I, I run a website called Look Home and, and, and Look Home speaks to people in a different way um, than some of the other things I do at work. So I think it's just that thing of before you start, mm. before you, you know, put pen to paper, really think, well, what's the, you know, what's the voice I'm writing in or the character I'm writing in? Sure. Um, and you say that during that year from when you came back to it from about September to December, you wrote a lot of it. Now, you hold down a very demanding job. And and how did you juggle it all? How did you find 
find time to write? Did you take time off? Did you write in the middle of the night? What, what did you do? Well, Valerie, I like to talk about the Nike method here, which is just do it, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did go through a period of time. You know how every now and again you read stories of, of aspiring writers and you hear how they're up till 4 a.m. in the <laughs> morning and, you know, they're so possessed with their story. And for a while I thought, oh, my God, that's what I should be doing. But really... That just didn't work for me. So what I ended up doing was every, well, a couple of mornings a week, I'd get up at five o'clock and I'd write for two hours before I went to work. But mostly I just nailed it on the weekend. And I just, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I'm too old to sit around and write till four o'clock in the morning and then back up and go to work and put in a productive day. And and I just don't have that kind of motivation. No, but you just motiv- wake up at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> But I was motivated to do it, so I just gave up, you know, other things, and I'd just sit there all weekend, and I'd just write. And I, by the time, you know, the end of September came, I had a schedule, so I knew that I had to finish Chapter X by this point, and that was quite markedly different from how I'd been at the beginning as well. So I had this schedule, and I just you know, just had to sit there and get it done, basically. So weekends were really the way that I did it. That's committed. So what was the hardest part of the whole process? (laughs) The last 10%. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, other people may find this as well. You know, I'm a great starter, but I'm not not always a great finisher. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes you get to the last 10%, and also it's, you know, some of the more boring things and, you know, you've been writing it for a while and now you're up to, like, references and, you know, bibliography and things like that and you think, oh, my God. But, you know, a helpful thing here was the fact that I had landed a publishing contract, so I knew I had to get it done. But definitely finishing that last 10% and then also going back and reviewing some things. And I think that you just need to do it. But sometimes it's easy to let yourself off the hook and go, oh, you know, it's good enough. And then when I'd hear myself thinking that, I'd think, okay, put it away for the moment because mm. obviously it's not good enough. Mm. So you're going to have to come back and, mm. and review it. But reviewing it sometimes is a little bit tough. So you landed a publishing contractor because there's one thing to write a book, but it's a whole other thing to get published. Tell us about how you got your publishing deal. Well, I think, you know, really luck played a bit of a part here. I... I had identified six publishers that I was going to pitch to and I was spectacularly unsuccessful with all six. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, mind you, I think three of those took a genuine interest and I heard back pretty quickly and I spoke to them about it. Uh, Hardy Grant has actually never even given me their reje- rejection letter, but, you know, this many years down the track, I can't imagine that they want to publish it. <laughs> but um, I, in the end, it, it, it was published by Penguin and how, and they weren't even on my list really because I didn't think that they were soliciting uh, non-fiction manuscripts at the time. Mm. But a friend of a friend worked at Penguin. She took the first three chapters, gave it to her boss, and then funnily enough, nothing happened for two or three months. And then I think around about October, uh, she rang up suddenly or one Sunday and said, oh, my, my boss is going to read this tomorrow. And I'd just been doing all of the restructuring work with the book coach. Mm. So I said, oh, gosh, don't give her the first three chapters that I originally gave you. And I spent like work like a demon and then gave her these revised chapters in the new kind of, surf, snorkel and dive structure Mm. and literally they're on the phone the next morning. So really by the end of the week we'd met and they'd expressed an interest. It then went to their acquisitions meeting and, you know, really in in a matter of two or three weeks the whole thing was sorted. So there there was definitely the luck factor there that I just managed to jump the, um, you know, 
jumped the pile of, of manuscripts that are probably waiting to be reviewed. And, well, and, you know, but having said that, I think it was, I think they found it was it was reasonably well written and structured. So that was... That's that was right. So luck, but also a hell of a lot of hard work at the last <laughs> minute for you to get it into shape um, with your new structure. Yeah, that's right. And j- just on that though, Valerie, I think, you know, just, just back to the, the coach thing and the benefit of, of courses and things like that. Not, and, and I don't want to sound arrogant either. When I say that I, f- I thought my first three chapters were, you know, reasonably good, that was on the basis of a number of people having looked at it. Mm. And but, but, you know, sometimes when you're in a new area, okay, yes, I write marketing mm. things for a living, but it, when the coach started to talk to me about those structural things, the surf, snorkel and dive thing in this example – it was a bit like the light went on because I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> now I've got a whole new perspective from which to actually look at my right. Oh, I can see what was missing. You know, before that, I was just kind of looking at it within the context of, of kind of an uninformed view. I don't know whether I'm communicating that well enough. But, yeah, you know, I think that's sometimes really the benefit with this in getting other people to look at your work. And so when it came to the editing stage with Penguin, I know that they didn't have to do very much to it at all. It was really quite a light edit. There were no structural changes at all. It was really just some jargon clarification and some tidying up. And and they did say at the time, actually, you know, it's it's better structured than many that we get. So it was really the, the benefit of having got that outside advice was was great, I think, in my case. So the key thing is don't be precious about it. Other people can help you improve it and oh. often always do. Absolutely. Um, now, you've had great success in getting media coverage for your book, and that's no surprise since you're an expert at marketing. Mm-hmm. So you've been featured in the Sunday Telegraph, New Idea, Newcastle Herald, Sydney Morning Herald's Domain. I remember opening the newspaper and seeing, oh, there's Amanda, um, and been recommended by the Sunday Age as well, and you also appear each fortnight on Radio Real Estate. And you have a blog, videos, and other social media. Now, obviously, you've called on some of your marketing skills. Um, can you share with us your top tips on how to market a book successfully, as you have done? Well, I think if I if I really think about the key ones, mm. and, and I'll and even despite that, that sounds kind of an impressive list when you when you say it like that. Um, <laughs> And even despite that, I actually um, think that I, I, with hindsight, I could have done a couple of these things better, to be honest. And and I know, um, you know, when I come and do the book marketing course, I'm going to share that with participants. But mm-hmm. having said that, I think the first key thing is to know who your market is and more importantly, where are you going to find them? And that's where are you going to find them physically out there in the world, but also online, because it's... It's some of those extra things that you're going to do that are going to make the difference. So know who they are and know where to find them. And then I think the second key thing is you need to really position you and your book. And I know sometimes you might, well, particularly if you're not a marketing person, you go, what is positioning anyway? Um, but also you might think, well, I've written my book. Well, that's, that's what the publisher's going to do, isn't it? But it's actually worth thinking really seriously about. Um, and it's probably an area that even, you know, I mean, I've spent 20 years in marketing. It's probably an area that I also was didn't think deeply enough about. Not that, you know, the positioning is bad, but I, I think I could have improved on that. Um, I think the third thing is to, once you've really established what that positioning is, is to go out and build a web presence for yourself. It's like, it's like um, web real estate in a sense. You know, for example, if you Google Renovation Survivor, out of the first 10 um, search results that come up on Google, I'm in nine of them. 
Um, you know, that's just on page one. So now, does everybody go searching for Renovation Survivor? No, not necessarily. So, of course, then you need to build a presence which is beyond that. But you need to own own that position that, that you are that you have established for yourself. And I think the the last top thing is need to get out and speak often. So yes, there's media, and I think that's important. And that is probably one of the things that your publisher is going to do better than some other things. But one of the key things you can do that's really powerful is to get out and speak to your target group in whatever way. So for example, I'm a guest presenter with um, Archicenter, and Archicenter runs seminars all over the country on the 10 things you need to know about renovating. Mm. Well, I'm there for all of the Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne seminars, as well as uh, some other speaking engagements. And, you know, so I think that's one of the, the key things. You need to prepare for your media interviews, yes, and you need to be able to be prepared to get out and speak and speak in a reasonably charismatic fashion so that people go, oh, I want to find out more about that. Mm. They're really the top four things from my point of view. So you spoke about um, being prepared for media interviews. Now, you were on David and Kim and you were on, I remember turning on the television, then there you were on Sunrise. <laughs> so was that uh, a nerve-wracking experience or did that come fairly naturally to you? How did you prepare for those? I was terrified, I'll be <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> um, Absolutely terrified. And, but, you know, I think the key was preparation. So I actually, I did go and do some top-up media coaching. Uh, I also sat down, you know, I have a little document that I take with me wherever I go um, when I'm doing interviews, which is, you know, what are my key messages? Um, what are my key messages about the category or the industry I'm in? What are the key messages about the book? What are the key messages about me? And I try and think about those before I go on and do those interviews. Some of those interviews will help you prepare to an extent because some of their researchers talk to you in advance and between the two of you, you kind of nut out roughly what the structure of the story is going to be. But even so, you know, sometimes it doesn't always go as planned and they've got their agenda, but you've got yours. So I think the key is, you know, you're out there to do a particular thing. You need to know what your messages are so that whatever is the opportunity, you can communicate them. Mm, absolutely. Otherwise, they can just take the ball and run with it for whatever it is that they want to yeah. talk about. So a lot of people think that when they write a book, you know, they don't need to worry about the marketing of the book because the publisher's publicity department does that. Is that the case? <laughs> well, look, publishers are great, don't get me wrong. But and, and it was really interesting for me as someone who's been in marketing for a long time, mm. interacting with other marketing people. Mm. So I think really what your publisher does, your publisher does publicity. Mm. And depending upon the type of book that you have, that publicity is going to get less or more attention. You know, in my case, I know I got more attention from them because of the subject matter of the book meant that it was likely that they would get more media. But even so, I had to push them a little bit. Like the Sunrise thing and the appearing on 9am with David and Kim and The Current Affair. You know, there were some things where you've really got to kind of work very proactively with them. But generally speaking, I think what publishers often have is a good up-to-date database of uh, media people mm -hmm. so they can do some publicity. But you also got to remember, and you know, in Penguin's case, they publish whatever it is, 400 titles a year. You're one of a lot. Mm. So I think with that in mind, you then go, okay, for a, for a period of time, one, two, three weeks maybe, I'm going to get this intense intention from, attention from them. But really, after that, I'm on my own. Mm. And so I either need to make sure that I can get access to the media myself or I'm going to, well, not 
not all perhaps and I'm going to be working on a series of other things that are going to get me to my target audience group. Mm-mm. That's absolutely right. I think that they do concentrate on it for a finite period of time and after that a lot of the marketing push is up to you and people like yourself, people like Tim Ferriss, the author of The 4-Hour Workweek have really taken that on board and really made use of so many other areas of marketing which means your books are really successful. So um, now you're running running a course at the Sydney Writers' Centre on marketing your book, which I'm really excited about because I think it's such a needed course for a lot of people. Tell me why you've decided to present this and what can people expect from it? Well, in terms of the why, you know, I get lots of people who, for example, the woman who lives next door, she's also written a book. It came out a few months before me. And I know... Is it on renovating? (laughs) (laughs) No, funnily enough, it's not. It's on love. So it's a quasi-academic book, which makes it a little bit different. But I know she's bemoaned to me how little her publisher has done and, you know, how can I... You know, how can I get more copies sold? How can I get the message out about it? You know, she's not alone, I know, because lots of authors uh, don't know much about marketing. You, When you've written your first book, you've got no idea about the publishing process. Um, to greater or lesser degrees, sometimes your publisher is going to help you understand that process, but often they don't really. You know, you, you've got to really be driving to go, okay, tell me about exactly what happens. So I think... Because it's an area where you've actually got to get in and do far more than you really perhaps thought you might to market your book effectively. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the course. And of course, I guess the other is I'm in marketing. So once again, it was just fascinating for me to watch other people at work in their domain. Now, I'm not saying they're bad marketers, but I think one of the things that happens with publishers is they're marketing the Penguin brand, for argument's sake, or the Allen and Unwin brand, Mm. not necessarily... Of course, they want to sell your title, but but the marketing is a little bit different. And so I I just thought, look, I can see that there are lots of things that if people only knew them and they understood a little bit about marketing, then the author could get into the driver's seat Mm. and really help promote their book if they understood some of these basic things. So that, that was, you know, a lot of the reason why I wanted to do it. And in terms of what I think we should cover... Um, you know, the key, one of the key things to start with is positioning. You know, it is identifying who is that audience for my book. Uh, how am I going to position both the book and myself for some longevity, if you like? And I think that's when it's important for you to think about, okay, well, where am I going to beyond this book? What's the platform that I want to build for myself? Mm. Uh, and then once you've looked at positioning, then it's time to look at what are some of the promotional tactics that you can employ? You know, I think the web has opened up a, a whole series of things to people, but also speaking engagements, um, you know, the importance of book trailers, uh, you know, direct mail, some of those other activities which can be low cost mm. are important to understand. I think then the second part is you are going, if you are going to get some media opportunities, how are you going to maximise those? Mm. How do you prepare those key messages? Uh, and then if you're going to do speaking engagements, well, what does it take to be a great presenter? And how are you going to, um, you know, convey your message in a way that gives value to people but also converts into sales for your book? And then, you know, how are you going to approach getting media coverage after your publisher has said, okay, well, kind of we've done our part now. Mm, <laughs> you're yes. on your own. And then lastly, it's really let's take a look at some of those online media tools 
understand what it takes to actually use them because it can be very time-consuming and then work out, you know, what are your strengths and, and which ones of those might be appropriate for you. So, so in essence, that's, that's what I'm hoping that we'll really cover in that book marketing course. So for people who do have a book deal, whilst the publicity part department of their publisher is going to, you know, um, get some publicity and do their part in it, it's very important for the author themselves to be in the driver's seat and to be in charge of their own destiny, really. They can't just be reliant on, on um, the publicity department because this way they're able to do so much more themselves. Um, there's much more longevity in it. And if they don't have a book deal and they want to self-publish, I think this course is absolutely vital. Um, so Absolutely. Because, I mean, you, you are going to have to do all of these things if you don't have the extra leg up of the publicity yeah. department of the publisher. I think just the other thing that's worth saying is I think your publisher, your publisher knows, even if they don't say this to you right up front, they'll talk to you about what's the effort that you're prepared to put in. But mm. they don't entirely go, okay, we reckon you should do A, B, C, D and E and here's how you do it. But, but they are watching you to see how active is this, this author going to be as a partner. So if you have some desire to write future books, mm. then that is part of what your publisher is looking at. How much did this author come to the party and help sell this book? Mm. So speaking of future books, Amanda, <laughs> <laughs> what's next? Is there another book in you? Um, possibly, but it's not emerging just yet, Valerie. <laughs> I, I, I gave this, I dedicated this year to just marketing the book kind of as an exercise to, to just explore some things and try them mm -hmm. and see where that went. Uh, so I won't be sitting down to write anything. And as you know yourself, it is an enormous amount of effort. Oh, <laughs> And um, so, yes, I think there's another one in me, but it's uh, not bubbling up to the surface just yet. And then for aspiring writers who are listening to this and who may be interested in writing a non-fiction book themselves, whether it's about renovating or love or whatever, what's your advice to them? I think, well, funnily enough, as with many things, I think planning is the key, really. And so I think some of the advice that you gave me right back at the beginning, which is, you know, work through a book proposal – um, I think that is actually a place to start. Work through what is it that you're trying to achieve? Who is it for? Um, what are they going to get out of it? Work through that planning part because in a sense that's part of what gives you the structure and so you've got some map for where you're heading. I'm probably, you know, maybe it's really different for non-fiction than, than fiction and I haven't really had the urge to write a story where maybe, you know, the story just comes out of you and it takes you where it takes you. I think non-fiction potentially is a little bit different. Mm. Sure, I had a story to tell, but it was really helpful that I had a map of where I was going and I think that's the place to start. Perfect. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Amanda. It's a pleasure, Valerie. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.